Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined here with Camille Kress, the VP of Growth Labs at Adore Me. And I'm excited to talk just about sort of the lingerie space, what's going on with sort of, you know, everything there, and also just being part of a growth team at a digitally native brand, especially in these weird times we're all living in. Hey, Camille, how's it going? Thanks so much for joining us. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks. So I always ask everyone at the beginning, so uh, tell a little about what it is that you do. Adore Me is is a digitally native uh, lingerie company, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And we were one of the first DTC companies to start selling lingerie online in 2011. Got it. And so what is what does VP of Growth Labs mean? Um, it's a fun title uh, that means a lot of fun things. Basically, the idea too is to identify the new channels of growth for the company. And it could mean a bunch of different things. Uh, but the idea is, you know, we're uh, mostly e-commerce, digital native. And the idea is both online and offline to figure out what's the next big step for us and how to make sure the company continues to grow. So what is the next big step for you? Um, we have a few. Uh, we're working on a few different steps. But just to give you an example of a few of the steps that we did take uh, mm-hmm. recently, you know, uh, we opened our own distribution center. We tried new div- the different business models. Uh, we opened retail stores. So that's the type of thing that really helps build and grow the company in a sustainable and profitable way. Got it. And so uh, I'm sure coronavirus, everything has sort of changed plans bef- from what they were, say, pre-March. But I always like to ask people, so especially with someone who's the, the head of growth at a company, what, where, where were your avenues for growth, say, in, when you were looking at things in January? What were you putting, like investing in and what, were you, what, what did you think would actually work out? That's a good question. And it's funny because I don't think that since March, a lot has actually changed. Uh, and we'll talk about that later, I guess. But pre-March, basically, we had been working on a few things for a while. So if we step back a little bit, when we started selling online uh, lingerie in 2011, we had a few very, you know, huge growth years until 2017, at which point uh, we reached the $100 million uh, revenue threshold. And there we had, you know, the big opportunity to say, do we continue growing at this super high speed or do we take a step back and build? Um, and so we decided to go with the second option and really take the time to build something solid, something with very strong fundamentals. And that's what we've been working on for the past three years. And 2020 was going to be the year where everything kind of opens up for us. The stars align um, and all the hard work that we put in these different streams were going to pay off. And actually, they did, um, which is not to say, obviously, that 2020 was an easy year in any way. Um, but the you know, how 2020 ended up happening after March actually, you know, continued to push us in the right direction. Um, And some of the different things that we worked on uh, really, you know, showed that we were able to adapt and to really fit into this new normal that 2020 brought on. Interesting. So I imagine some of the things you were investing in from 2017 to 2020 was like the um, your your own distribution. You said that you you have a fulfillment center. Can you talk to us about what were sort of the things that you put in place that then hit their stride beginning in 2020? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we're totally right is the distribution center and. Um, that's been a couple of years in the making. We had to invest a ton. And what was great in 2020 with having our own distribution center was, first of all, that we were able to be really hands-on about the safety of our uh, logistics team and make sure that while they stayed open, 
everybody else was comfortably working from home and they were still out there uh, working and we could really make sure that they stayed safe. Um, but because it was our own uh, logistics center, we could also absorb the increased demand that we saw uh, by seeing, you know, a lot of people go from offline to online uh, during the pandemic. And so we were able to absorb this increased demand by having our own um, logistics center. So that was something that was a couple of years in the making and really paid off this year uh, by making it easier for us uh, to work through this crisis that we saw. Uh, another thing that we actually started working on in 2018 and took us a couple of years to figure out and now really you know, showed its full potential during the pandemic is the try-at-home model. Um, historically, you know, we had been selling directly to the customer on, a, on the website in a traditional way. And one of the key things with laundry is that it's complicated with the sizing, with the fit and everything. And we thought, how can we bring this you know, try at home, try and store experience at home. Uh, and that's when we launched the try at home business where we basically send you a bunch of items. You decide what you keep and you only pay for what you keep. And um, the logistics behind this, the algorithm behind this, the tech behind this is so complicated. It took us a couple of years. And at the height of the pandemic this year, we actually had up to 50% of our new customers were shopping that way. So we really saw that, you know, this is the future of how, customers shop for laundry and other items, um, especially when offline world is kind of off the map for a while. Can you talk to me a little about what you tweaked over the years? Is that just like an algorithmic for what you send to people? Sort of how, what, what was it that didn't work for the first year and a half or so that, and what helped you hit the stride for a try at home model? Yeah, that's a good question. It wasn't so much about what didn't work, but as how to get, you know, our key metrics up. The, the key metric for this model is the keep rate. You definitely want people to mm -hmm. keep as much as possible. Otherwise, you're basically paying for shipping back and forth, which is really not the best use of your time or your money. Um, so in order to increase this keep rate, there's a bunch of things that we did over the years. Um, one of those was to offer more than just bras and panties to the customer, but offer a wide array. So adding on new categories um, which is a, you know, a long-term project because we need to first expand our categories within Adormi and then be able to offer them on that platform. Um, so sourcing, you know, building new categories and new brands um, in order to cater to every customer's need and then identifying what the customer would like to receive in advance. That's all about the algorithm and figuring out, you know, in their first box, their, that specific customer is more likely uh, to want a black bra but in their second box, they'll definitely want a legging. But that customer is going to be completely different. So tweaking and learning. Um, and I think this is really, you know, the algorithm learning over the years to get smarter and predict better. Do you think that that kind of service works best for only undergarments? Or do you think that other lines of apparel could like do, where when do you think that that is a more expandable model for for try at home? I think it definitely works for any type of uh, product that you would want to try on. So I think it definitely works for lingerie since it's such a tough product. Um, but we are currently sending in those uh, try at home boxes. We're sending lingerie, but we're also sending, you know, swimwear, sleepwear, loungewear, leggings, you know, mm -hmm. activewear, uh, anything that you could basically find right now in our assortment, which is not only intimates. Um, so I think... You know, it's really the convenience for the customer of being able to try it without having to pay up front and then returning whatever you don't like um, and kind of having this in-store shopping experience, but at home. Absolutely. So you uh, I know that Adormi over the years has had has had stores and you, you still have stores, correct? 
Yeah, we do. Six. Okay. Uh, can you talk to me just about how you've approached the overall store strategy, uh, especially with the pandemic? I imagine that things kind of flipped and shifted with so much online demand. What happened overall? Um, yeah. So overall, if we step back a bit, initially we were e-commerce only and we, you know, even I think a bunch of us had said never, we'd never open stores. It's <laughs> so complicated and it's e-commerce is really the best. Uh, but at some point we did decide to go out and get into brick and mortar to uh, first learn from our customers. I think, you know, since we've opened stores, we've learned so much from being able to talk face to face to our customer and see how they interact with the product, et cetera. Um, but we've always thought of the stores as an as a extension to our online presence. Um, and we really try to create an environment where um, there is added value to going in store. So really working on the sales associate, having all this knowledge that you wouldn't necessarily find in store, et cetera. Uh, 2020 was obviously a really tough year for us, uh, for retail. Um, it was less tough for us than any other retailer because we only have six stores. So obviously we can count ourselves lucky on that aspect. Uh, but it was really important when we reopened to keep our team safe. And with lingerie, where you're going to try it on in the fitting room and everything, that was a little bit difficult. It's such a proximity item um, that we reopened without the fitting rooms in the beginning with a lot of very constraining um, things that had to happen in terms of processes and stuff. But overall, um, we're happy that we've reopened. We see less traffic, obviously, um, way less traffic. But the people who do brave the pandemic and come to shop in the dormy stores have such a high intent to buy that at the end of the day, we're almost, I'm not going to say the same level as last year, but we're almost at the same level of la as last year. Interesting. We're, when I talk with many digitally native brands at open stores, especially pre-March, they, they would often say, our stores uh, are profitable, you know, they're, they're profitable just because they're able to get enough, enough sales. Is that, has that been the case for you? Do you have new KPIs given that there's so much less traffic for, for what makes a store successful given that, you know, they're probably not selling as much product as before? Yeah, it's a good question. We actually opened six stores to test. So to see um, what type of store works for us. So we opened very small stores, very big stores. We opened stores with wide open storefronts and then some with very close storefronts. Like we really tried to test different things from the experience standpoint, the design standpoint. And the idea was to say at the end of a couple of years, you know, what does an Adormi store look like when it's profitable or how do we make an Adormi store profitable? Um, and so we, we don't share any numbers specifically, but I can say that we've, we got the answer to that question. Uh, which is not to say that they're all profitable, but we did figure out what makes an Adormi store profitable. Uh, with the pandemic right now, we are actually doing okay. Um, I think for us, the key metric of success, let's say, was that we had percentage rents. So during the store closures, we weren't paying rent, uh, which was a huge you know, game changer uh, compared to other retailers who have to pay rent when they're closed. Mm -hmm. So... You don't need to sh share which ones are aren't, but what can you give a little bit about? Is it smaller stores? Is it bigger stores? What are the kind of formats that are working out for you? Yeah, surprisingly, initially we were really hoping that the smaller stores would work for us because you, <laughs> you know you, by definition, you know it takes less space. You need less money to to make it into a nice looking space. But actually, because we have such a wide assortment um, and that we see that the customer coming into shop in store doesn't want to shop online, doesn't want this you know, showroom experience where you can't go home with your product. Um, we've actually seen that the bigger the store, the better, just because we can cater 
uh, and really showcase all of our product categories from bras, you know, swimwear, um, sleepwear, but also all of these satellite brands that I mentioned earlier that we built um, and that kind of come and complement the current assortment. So, you know, um, period proof panties and maternity clothing. You definitely need to have a big store for the assortment to make sense visually and for the customer. Has not necessarily store format, but what you've seen as working and, you know, being more successful changed given that different types of shoppers are shopping in stores now? So are you is are, are you changing the way that you're displaying things? Are, are shoppers interacting differently in stores than they did before? We haven't actually, no. It's a good question. Maybe maybe we should look into it, but we haven't changed anything uh, before between before March and now since we reopened. I think the main difference, obviously, is the our sales associates wearing masks and the safety guidelines that we put in place. But in the way that they shop, our customers are definitely still touching the product, still wanting to try them on. Uh, so we were happy when we were able to reopen our fitting rooms. Um, but we also had a few fun elements in the store, uh, kind of tech techie elements in the store before that kind of worked really well when we reopened. We hadn't planned for it to be used that way, but we had um, uh, mirrors where you can, in the fitting room, the mirrors where you can choose the item that you want the sales associate to bring you and they'll get a notification on their phone to bring this item to fitting room four. Um, And so that's a great way to kind of stay away from um, the team if you don't want to, you know, to stay socially distant, let's say. And we also have a 3D body scanner that measures you, which is a huge part of our experience, being able to give you your exact bra size. Uh, and so if you don't want anybody to do that for you during the pandemic, we have a 3D body scanner once you stand and then that will figure out your size. So these were two um, kind of techie things that um, really, you know, bloomed after the pandemic when we reopened. Interesting. Um are you thinking about opening more stores as time goes on or sort of what, what's your thoughts with, with what you're doing with your locations? I would love to tell you that we want to open a hundred stores. I would love to open a hundred stores right now. We're taking a step back and just waiting to see how it plays out. We're not sure how long these stores are going to stay open. Maybe they'll have to close again. There's just so much uncertainty um, that, you know, in an ideal world we would open more, but right now we're not set on a certain number or, or, or even a deadline at this point. Got it. And so what are, if, if you're sort of testing and waiting and seeing with in-store, where are you investing right now in terms of growth opportunities? So one of the things that we're doing, uh, which is very interesting and kind of feeds into everything that we've said so far is um, we've been building new brands within the Adore Me group, let's say, um, to, you know, kind of come and complement this assortment that we have. We're really trying to accompany women through all of the different stages in their life. And we've always kind of naturally expanded into new categories. So we started by selling only bras and panties, and then we went into sleepwear, then into swimwear. So there are some natural category expansions that we've done. Um, but then sometimes the category in itself doesn't necessarily match 100% the Adormi customer or uh, the Adormi price point. And at that point, it gets more interesting to build a new brand instead of launch the category within Adormi. Um, and so that's when we've uh, launched, I think so far we have five or six, um, which we call they, we call them satellite brands, which are these new brands that we're launching. They have their own website. They're also being sold on adormi.com. Um, but the idea is really to continue to cater to our customer offering them a new product that they might not be willing to shop for on adormy.com because it's really not exactly the same thing. But we know that, you know, under a new brand with a fun branding, different price point, they'd be able to, to absorb better. 
So what's an example of one of these satellite brands? So one of these satellite brands is called Joyja, and it's a period-proof panties. Um, so they're one of our most successful satellite brands so far. And what's really great is the kind of femtech aspect of you know what, what a period panty brings also in terms of sustainability, which is very important to us. Um, and we were able to build a brand like Joyja because we, we have um, what we like to call internally a, a DTC operating system. We have all of this very fundamental structure, very strong at Adormi, that enables us to kind of just launch new brands by leveraging the internal resources, where, whether it's you know the fact that we have our own logistics center or the fact that we have such a strong tech infrastructure. Everything that we have built in the past three years helps us kind of make everything easy in terms of launching a new brand. We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So what makes you go from A to B in terms of launching a new brand, especially when, as you say, some of these don't necessarily fit perfectly within the Adormi, um, um, you know, Adormi branding umbrella. There are different price points, potentially a different customer. Are you are you taking data from who the Adormi customer is and think that they might want this? Or if it's outside, how are you how are you coming to the decision that we need to go into this direction? That's a good question. We definitely do a market study to see what the full potential of the category is going to be for sure. Um, there's also a branding and kind of mission statement that we have. That is that we want to accompany women through all the different stages of their life. So we know that we're going to need something for their first period, then for their pregnancy, for menopause and anything that comes in between. So even if the addressable market might not be the biggest, we know that there's a need somewhere that we need to fill. So that's one way we look at it. Um, and the other is also to, through, you know, trial and error, we will try to see if something works and if it doesn't. Um, so far, we haven't actually run run into anything that doesn't work for us. But, you know, we were launching new brands and we have six right now. Not not all six might work. Who knows? Uh, we're hoping they do, but maybe one of them will be just, you know, not the right fit. So um, it's a bit early to tell, but because it's always about a woman's journey through life and the different stages, we're thinking that there's an appetite somewhere. Will you be, do you have plans to launch more brands? We do. What are they in? Um, I think I am not allowed to say. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> um, can you talk a little about, cause I want to talk with about Adormi in general with customer acquisition, but I'm really interested in how that fits into these new brands because you're targeting different people. So do you use the exact same team? Are you, what is, is marketing the same? How are you approaching sort of reaching different women at different stages of their life when you have all these different products and you know sort of who your core customer is, but you're trying to go beyond that? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the DTC operating system that I was mentioning before, the whole concept behind that is that we leverage existing teams. So for acquisition, we are going to leverage our existing acquisition team that handle millions of dollars for Adormi. And then we'll start very small for these um, new brands, new satellite brands. Um, and again, kind of trial and error, just because we have such a strong acquisition team used to working for Adormi, um, you know, they're going to start small, see what works, whether, whether it's, you know, what voice we have to take in the advertising that we do, um, what price point we have to set on the products, different things. And so they're going to test and learn and see um, whether the acquisition model is different from Adormi, but we leverage all the same tools, the same teams and the same logic and everything that we do. Have they had to have different acquisition models? No, not different acquisition models, for sure different ads creative mm -hmm. yeah. um if we're going to if you're going to talk to a menopausal woman or to 
somebody who is going to get their first period, it's really a different tone of voice, a different uh, medium. So the um, the channels are going to differ, the CPAs are going to differ, but the overall way of doing acquisition is going to be the same. Interesting. And I, I uh, would love to talk to sort of, given that we're talking about channels, how does Adore Me in general, both, you know, Adore Me, Adore Me and the, the greater brands think of more experimental channels. I know that you guys have a really interesting influencer marketing program that's sort of self-serve. And so if you want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit, how, how, how have you approached a like building out these kinds of programs uh, and where are you seeing areas of growth specifically in different channels like that? That's a good question. I am not the specialist. So I'm going to try to address it, but you might mm-hmm. want to have to yeah. follow up with somebody no else. Um, but basically at Adormi, historically, we've been, you know, doing a ton of advertising on uh, Google and Facebook, traditional channels. Mm-hmm. At some point in our lifetime, pretty early, we started doing TV advertising, which at the time and kind of for, uh, you know, a startup our size is kind of unconventional to do TV advertising just because it's such a big budget. It's a very different logic from the online advertising logic. Um, so we did TV and we, we did a TV attribution model. Um, with AI to try to understand what CPA was coming from TV, which is something that's pretty complicated to do. And more recently, um, we're obviously trying to diversify as much as possible, especially seeing that the Facebook acquisition prices can go up and have gone up in the past. Um, and we, we want to avoid a situation where we're putting too much on Facebook. Um, and so some of the other channels that we're experimenting with are, um, you know, the classic TikTok Pinterest, YouTube, you know, those types of new um, medias. Um, We're still doing a lot of TV advertising. And the other aspect that you mentioned, which is the influencer marketing, we um, did a very fun thing, which is that instead of spending a ton of time reaching out to different influencers manually, you know, saying, hi, could you do a campaign? Are you interested? Basically, internally, um, one of our IT teams built a... Uh, platform on which that automatically reaches out to the influencers and on which they'll um, subscribe to a campaign and that will lead them automatically to do a campaign and to post for us and that type of thing. And that saves us a ton of time, uh, makes it way more um, cost efficient and helps us scale at a, at a scale that we couldn't uh, attain before. Yeah, super fascinating. Um, I want to talk to you also uh, about how you're approaching retail partnerships. Uh, I know that in the past you've you've been at different stores like Lord and Taylor and Nordstrom. Is is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so how what is your overall sort of retail strategy been uh, specifically since a lot of those companies aren't doing as well as before? Mm-hmm. Has, that, has that shifted? Yeah. So those partnerships are actually. I'm trying to remember when we launched them, I think it was about four years ago and it lasted a year each. And the idea at the time was, okay, we're not doing any retail. Should we be? Um, Mm -hmm. And so the easiest way to do retail, quote unquote, is to go through a partner. Um, And and we didn't, at the time, we were so far from thinking about opening stores that uh, we did go into a few Nordstrom's and one or two Lord & Taylor's. And the idea was just to see how it worked. And we quickly realized that at our scale, without an actual brick and mortar presence and without putting a ton of resources onto this project, you know, to train the Nordstrom team um, to help them with the merchandising, which we really didn't know anything about at the time, it really didn't bring us much information about our customer or potential customers. And so we we ended up thinking that opening our own stores was the way to go to get learnings. That's so fascinating. I feel like 
a very popular playbook that I talk to a lot of people, especially in DTC now, is that uh, sort of the gold standard for growth is to find that perfect retail partnership that you can just go to. But you kind of went the other way and you opened stores, but you also figured out your own uh, fulfillment, which is just such an expensive endeavor that seems to be working out now. And so it's a really weird, interesting yeah. inversion of, of sort of how you've approached that. Yeah, we don't like to do everything the same way that other people do. But I think it was also about, I think you're right, it was also about finding the perfect partner. And I do think that the partners that we tested at the time uh, for where we were in our, you know, growth trajectory and everything, there weren't the right fit in terms of, you know, customer profile. And I think today would be a very different, I think we'd address it differently. Um, but it's definitely not something we're closing the door to. It's just at the time didn't make a whole lot of sense. Got it. And so in the coming year, would you say that the your number one goal or the coming months, I know that things are very wonky and there's no way to correctly forecast. Yeah. Are you, uh, A, like I always ask, how are you approaching forecasting? But also is, is, is sort of the new brands, is that the big thing that you're focusing on in launch? Are you looking at any other new projects that, that might be down the road? So the new brands is definitely one. Um, the try at home model, continuing to scale it and trying to perfect it. I think, you know, as um, we want to keep the keep rate going up. We want the lifetime value of these customers to keep going up. We want their NPS to keep going up. So that's definitely a, a long-term project that we keep on working on um, and, and including those new brands into the triathlon model. So kind of becoming one big project uh, so that, you know, we can figure out which customer would like to receive maternity clothing in their box. Um, it's pretty tricky. So how to figure that out. Um, I think that's really the way that we're going to grow this business model for us. Um, at some point, hopefully opening more retail stores. Um, and that's more about how the pandemic goes than anything else. And there's really no way to predict anything. You, you said it. So, um, new brands, um, try at home model. We also have a lot of things in the pipeline in terms of uh, sustainability, which is one of the big angles that we kickstarted um, about a year or so ago. And we have, I don't know, 40 plus initiatives in the pipeline. Um, what What's fun is that they're not coming from uh, top down. They're coming from all different places in the company, entry levels, director levels, just anybody that has a good sustainable idea. Um, and that's also something that we're really working on. And I, I would say, I think the big thing also that we're continuously working on is partnerships that we're creating. You mentioned the retail partnerships. We're, we're also looking at um, supply chain partnerships. Uh, one of the big ones for 2020 was that we partnered with uh, Mass Holdings, their femtech and sustainable uh, branch. So they're the biggest, you know, laundry, bra, anything uh, manufacturer. And we take advantage of this partnership, which is such an amazing partnership. They have been working on amazing technical solutions to a ton of feminine um, issues that we see on the market. They've been developing products. And because of our DTC operating system, we're able to bring them to market super quickly. And so it's a really win-win partnership that we have with them um, where where we're leveraging all these years of experience that they have and they're leveraging our ability to um, you know, introduce a new product on the market. Interesting. And so are they, are you, how are, what do they get out of that kind of partnership? Because I imagine you have, you get their manufacturing and you're able to say, you know, we need this product now, you know, this time. What, what, how, what are they getting out of it other than just like business from you? Well, they get the, the, the uh, capability of testing a product on the market um, much faster than they would themselves. You know, we, 
are able to launch a new product on one of our websites or through uh, one of our brands very quickly and we can give them feedback. We can, I think it's really a learning experience for them to be able to know, you know, it's really hard when, when they are taking on all the risk of putting all this risk, this research into products that they're not really sure has an audience or will work. And so I think that's really what we're helping them do is um, get input into their design process and everything. And we're thrilled because they're doing stuff that we could never do and they have amazing products. Interesting, cool. Well, Camille, that's all the time we have. This has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.